good morning. Welcome to Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church. Grateful to be with you on this first Sunday of the month on which we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Uh, Grateful that in this service of worship we have our Grace Scholars assisting in the leading of worship. A couple reminders for today and, and this coming week. We are pulling together a variety of small groups, six-week small groups, uh, that are going on in the life of the church beginning next Sunday, Sunday, February 11th, as the, some of the first groups meet. And these groups are meeting around town in different homes on different days, different afternoons, different nights, different times. All those details are in the social room. And if you're saying, you know, I'd love, I'd love to live more into being the church, as we've been exploring in this sermon series, and one outlet for that. For these six weeks are these small groups. You can read more about those groups out there. You can sign up. A number you already have. Uh, that's in the social room right after worship. Your reading packet for the small groups is also there if you haven't already gotten that or you want to get that for the first time. Uh, later this uh, next, well, I should say next week, this uh, Sunday, February 11th, we will have a special service of worship in that we will have the ordination and installation of a new class of officers, and so very much looking forward to that service of worship. And then the following Saturday, Saturday, February 17th, right here at Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church, is the Presbytery of the James Stated Meeting, and we're looking forward to being able to host that. Our elders and deacons are already in the works behind the scenes, preparing things, getting it together, but if you would like to help out or know more about that, uh, you can talk to Dana McKnight, who is the clerk of session, or Sally Lays, who is the moderator of the deacons, or even come to me and let you know how different ways you can be helping out for that. I invite you now to, uh, to stand wherever you are and greet a few folks around you. Finding your, uh, your seats again, and we'll prepare our hearts and minds to worship uh, the living God. Welcome to the live broadcast of a service for the worship of God, which is coming to you from the sanctuary of Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church in Richmond, Virginia.
please stand and join me in our call to worship, which is written in your bulletin. O Lord, our God, we come as your children, praising you with wonder and awe. We come to you as sisters and brothers, praising you for graciously knitting us as family. We come as your household of faith, praising you for joining us at table with one another and all the saints throughout all time. Once again, welcome to the live broadcast of a service for the worship of God, which is coming to you from the Sanctuary of Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church at 1627 Monument Avenue in Richmond, Virginia. This is the 95th year of radio ministry at Grace Covenant, and today's broadcast is number 4,879. Today's date is February the 4th, 2018. The Reverend Dr. Robert Holm Lippert is our pastor. This morning's sermon, entitled... The Church as Household will be delivered by Reverend Dr. Holm Lippert. Assisting in the service today are Christopher Martin, our Director of Music and Organist, the Chancel Choir, and Grace Scholars Lauren Todd and Jay Morgan. Our church is handicapped accessible with an elevator, wheelchairs, hearing assistance, and large print bulletins and hymnals. Child care is provided for infants, toddlers, and kindergartners. Worship kits are available for older children at the entrance to the sanctuary. Our opening hymn is For the Beauty of the Earth, which is number 473 in the Presbyterian Hymn. say together our prayer of confession. Most merciful God, you have called us your children, not born of flesh and blood, but born of your gracious will. Yet too often we isolate ourselves. We ignore your will. We distance ourselves from our sisters and brothers. We overlook the hungry, sick, 
and imprisoned members of this family in whom your word declares you are present. Forgive us. Draw us again to your table alongside this unlikely, diverse, and beautiful family you have given us. Help us to love one another as you have loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The God who challenges us is also the God who encourages us. The God who confronts us is also the God who accepts us. Be assured that God is with us even now, accepting, guiding, comforting, and forgiving. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. And Reverend Christopher Tweel is coming to the front, to the side door, to take our children who are six years and younger to uh, Children's Chapel. And parents, you'll be able to get your child after the uh, service of worship. Let us bow our heads. Loving and everlasting God, source of all light, by your word you give light to the soul. Pour out on us the spirit of wisdom and understanding that our hearts and minds may be opened. Amen. Our first scripture reading today comes from the book of Hosea, chapter 2, verses 8 through 16. She did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished upon her silver and gold that they be used for bail. Therefore, I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her shame in the light of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. I will put an end to all her mirth, her festivals, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and all her appointed festivals. I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees." Of which she said, These are my pay, which my lovers have given me. 
I will make them a forest, and the wild animals shall devour them. I will punish her for the festival days of the Baals, when she offered incense to them, and decked herself with her ring and jewelry, and went after her lovers, and forgot me, says the Lord. Therefore, I will now allure her, and bring her into the wilderness, and speak tenderly to her. From there, I will give her her vineyards, and make the valley of Anchor, Acre, a door of hope. There she shall respond as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. On that day, says the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. This is the word of the Lord. We are continuing in a sermon series called The Church, which began back in January. We've explored these different images that the New Testament gives us of the church and what it means for who we are and what we do. We've looked at church as ecclesia, as gathering, assembly. We've looked at the church as body, the church as sheep, the church as temple, each of us living stones set upon the foundation who is Jesus Christ. Today, the church as household or family, an image all over both the Old and New Testament as far as speaking to what we are as God's people about. A word from the Lord comes today from Mark chapter 3, verses 31 to 35. Then his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And Jesus replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Imagine most of us have a group family photo in our home, one of those where we manage to get all of the aunts and the uncles, the cousins, the different generations. Maybe it's a beautiful photo, but think back to when it was taken, and maybe you remember those can be pretty tough. Because first, it's a minor miracle, even in the smallest of families, to get the whole family in one location on the same day, in the same hour, in enough of a condition where everyone feels like smiling and looking at the camera. But assuming you can pull together all of the schedules, the children, the grandchildren, parents, aunts, uncles, the newborn, the the favorite pet, assuming you get the key nucleus there for the big photo, sometimes that's not even the hardest part, is it? Sometimes so-and-so in the family is dating someone, and they seem to be a lovely person. They'd make a lovely addition to the family. Are they in the photo? Are they family enough? Some say, come on, join in. Others say, not family. Or maybe you just have them take the photo and quietly avoid the awkward conversation. What if they're engaged? Are they, are they family enough at that point? 
What if they're engaged, they bring the children from the other marriage, and, and, and we're all just, for the very first time, meeting these children. We know we're going to see more of these children someday, but do we all go on the Christmas card this year? What are the lines for determining a proper family photo? In Mark chapter 3, Jesus appears to have a different set of lines for determining who goes in the family photo. And it's upsetting some folks. A a little background before leading up to the passage I read. Mark chapter 2, for instance. Jesus, uh, the religious leaders are getting concerned with Jesus because he's eating with sinners and tax collectors. They're not normally in the family photo at table. Or just a little before the passage I read in Mark chapter 3, 13 to 19. It's this section to our ears that may sound so innocuous. We read, Jesus goes up the mountain and called to him those he wanted. Interesting. The word for called here has strong verbal roots with the Hebrew word in Genesis 1 for made or create. God made, God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus is creating something new. He went up to the mountain and called, created, made, to him those whom he wanted and they came, he appointed 12. Many of the the Jewish people that day would have immediately remembered, you know, Moses went up the mountain. In fact, in Exodus 24, Moses went up to the mountain and after delivering the people, constituted them again into their 12 tribes, each named. And here, Jesus is doing what Moses did, but he's kind of messing with the family photo. Peter, John, Philip, James. Why why is he messing with the family arrangement and the names of the 12? And then one more example before we get to the passage I read today. We already, three chapters into the Gospel of Mark, have Jesus healing, working on the Sabbath, the day of rest. One of the major ways that you could determine within the people of God who is family and who is not is are you keeping the Sabbath? Jesus himself seems to be acting in ways that are unclear just how much he sees himself part of the family photo. And and we all know if anyone plays too fast and loose with who goes in that family photo, folks who assume themselves to be at the center, they get upset. So Mark 3 verse 21 reads this way. When Jesus' family, biological family, heard what Jesus was doing, they went out to restrain him. Where people were saying he's gone out of his mind. Jesus, look, we know you've shared folk table with folks beyond the family of Israel. We know you've even gone about acting like a, a new Moses, kind of reconstituting the puzzle pieces of the family of God. We know you've worked on the Sabbath and kind of neglected something fundamental to being family. But it's time to face up to your real family. They've come to restrain him. The people that can really speak into his life. And so in verse 31 we read the biological family sends some people inside to this house where Jesus is teaching. And they say, your mother and your brothers and sister are outside asking for you. There is nothing stronger than the pole of family asking for you. And that may be related by blood, biological family. That may be church family. That may be corporate family. That may be country family, sports team family, political party family. But when the family speaks and tells us it's time 
to get it together, time to rein it in, time to pull the act together, time to quiet down, time to get in line, time to cast the vote. The family may or may not be right. Either way, family is a very powerful gravitational pull. And Jesus' response, they're asking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? I mean, who actually does belong in the family photo? To be sure, Jesus doesn't say the folks outside are not family, no. But he does pause long enough to say, look, before we just assume who's going in the family photo, let's think about family. How do we get about determining those lines? Now, at this point, already, chapter 3, Jesus has messed with the fourth commandment, Sabbath-keeping. Now he's pushing the envelope on the fifth commandment, honor your mother, your father, and mother. Why? Why, early on, all this stirring up of family themes? Why not, right here, just keep the peace, go out to your family, deal with the situation, away from the crowd, say what needs to be said, There was a story in Christianity Today this past week that God shared thousands of times, email, social media posts. Uh, It was an interview of Rachel Denhollander, who was a member of the USA Gymnastics team and sexually abused by Dr. Larry Nassar. She was the first, actually, to make a public uh, allegation against him. She was the last of the 150 women who testified in court and shared their story. Her particular story, you may have seen, it, it went viral and Den Hollander, she's a Christian. If you read the full transcript of what she said in court, you readily see how her faith informs her understanding of justice and repentance and forgiveness. In an interview, interview with Christianity Today, uh, they asked her specifically about the portion of her, testimony, of, her, of her testimony where she talked about losing her church over sexual abuse. Den Hollander explained that before anyone knew she herself had experienced this, she became an advocate for those who'd been sexually abused or assaulted. Her advocacy inevitably involved her working with women in the church who'd experienced abuse in some form or another somewhere. And eventually it involved her alongside women who'd been experienced sexual abuse by prominent leaders in the national church. Well, the leadership of her particular congregation refused to listen or consider the pages of documentation and evidence and stories that she and some others had. So she eventually comes forward and says, look, I was sexually abused. This is part of why this this matters. And the leadership says, see, that's the reason your judgment's too clouded to see clearly on what you're talking about. And leaders soon made it clear to her and her husband that maybe this wasn't the church for them. Of course, later it would be uncovered that, yes, in fact, significant sexual abuse had been going on in the church for years, just as she had said. And for a moment, we we, we wonder, how how can Den Hollander have put forth documentation and stories, and how, how could the truth who is Jesus start to stir... How could the truth who is Jesus, who, who casts light on darkness, start to shine... How could, how could Jesus start to move and rise and shake to bring about justice and reconciliation and forgiveness? How could some real gospel start to move and shake? And how could the church, the family of God, of all people, 
hold him down, quiet him. When Jesus' family heard what he was doing, heard how the way, the truth, and the life was stirring and moving, they went out to restrain him. As truly beautiful and necessary as family is in all of its variations, family is very naturally inclined to guard its reputation, its name, its way of being. And not just those families that made the news in recent days is way too easy to point fingers. All of us know the pull that family can have, even to the point of covering darkness if it senses a threat to its being. In recent days, we've certainly seen the way that, the, that political families can call folks to both sides of the aisle into a deeper entrenchment with the family rather than an openness to the truth at any cost. Tonight, you will see the real power of sports family for some. Watch how one person in one kind of jersey can turn with all kinds of vitriol on a perfect stranger of another jersey. Watch how a person of one jersey can see every single foul that is being committed against their team. They can't seem to see a thing or name anything that maybe they're doing. Far more tragically, as the local police will tell you, abuse of most any sort almost always happens within families. Abuse will take place inside four walls all around the city, and most of the mature, of-age adults will not speak out because family. Whether shame, fear, duty, whatever, family has a loyalty dynamic that is at one sense so beautiful. And in that same dynamic, though, also knows how to restrain the truth when he starts to rise and shine and threaten any measure of the darkness and the way of being. Indeed, our scriptures are clear that it is the leaders of the family of God who eventually restrain Jesus to the point of putting him on a cross. And again, let me be clear, family loyalty can be so beautiful and bring out some of our noblest qualities. But the less talked about truth about family is that it can be for all of us powerfully blinding. It can call us to an unquestioned loyalty to the family name, the institute, the political party, the church name, the sports name. And sometimes to great tragedy. Because none of those names are the one who himself is the fullness of truth and the fullness of love. In fact, Jesus wants to be Lord of our church and Lord of our lives. Not because he's some kind of controlling demigod. But because he knows if we put any other loyalty at the center. No matter how wonderful and beautiful we name that loyalty, that family. That loyalty in and of itself is not at essence love and truth. That is only Jesus. And at some point, that loyalty will call us to run askew from truth and love and may even get us to the point where we're calling evil good and good evil. And so, yes, Jesus does stir the water of our definition of family early in his ministry because he knows our other loyalties can more readily compete for the... the, There's no other loyalty that competes more readily for our heart than that of family whether biological or otherwise. Who are my mother and brothers? 
It is a jarring question, but it is also a loosening, freeing question. It is a question that helps us get to the maturity Den Hollander talks about in her interview when she says, the extent that one is willing to speak out against their own community is the bright line test for how much they care and how much they understand. The extent to which one is family, but somehow free enough to hold to the truth and love who is Jesus and speak out, that is the test for how much they really care and understand. Who are my mother and brothers? Who is my family? And looking around at those who sat with him, the crowds, Jesus said, well, here are my mother and my brothers. Here's family. Well, what'd they do to to be called mother and brothers aside from happening to be with you in your teaching at that moment, Jesus? Perhaps that remarkable line from Ephesians 1 comes to mind for some of us. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. God destined us for adoption as his children, family, through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will. What were our qualifications? None Simply the good pleasure of God. God calls the crowd and they are family because that is how they have been named by grace. True, Jesus adds, whoever does the will of God is my sister and mother and brother. Which may sound confusing for a second. Well, wait, so families, whoever you call Jesus uh, or whoever does your will. And of course, the answer is yes. As Presbyterians who stand in the Reformed tradition, we believe that God's gracious call is so powerful, so effective, that that we cannot help but want to offer our lives in thankful obedience to God's will. The ones who are called are the same ones filled with the Spirit who then seek to do the will of God. They are one and the same. God names the crowd's family. Pure grace. We might also think of our reading from Hosea this morning. How scandalous. God talks about the people of God and their grave disobedience as adultery against God. You heard Jay read that. They've cheated. God's mad. God's hurt. God's disgusted with what they've done. What does God ultimately do? Hosea 2.14. I will now allure her. Speak tenderly to her. I will give her her vineyards. On that day, says the Lord, you will call me my husband. You, cheater, betrayer, bride who has wounded me so, you're most definitely family. Bride even. This too is who God calls his family. Or or again, we might think of Jesus speaking in the Gospel of Matthew. You remember about the sheep and goats and and how the sheep are brought into the eternal kingdom of God and we hear these sheep, they say, Lord, when... (laughs) When did we see you hungry and we fed you, or thirsty and we gave you something to drink? You were a stranger and we invited you in. You needed clothes, we clothed you. When were you sick or in prison and we visited? Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters of mine, You did for me. The hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, the imprisoned, they are referred to as siblings in the family of God, people in the photo. I mean, you you can start to imagine if Jesus was the arbiter of the Christmas family photo debate. Jesus 
tell so-and-so they're not getting in the family photo because they're only dating at this point. I mean, Jesus would walk away from the whole conversation, the entire dynamic, not caring for a lick about the unspoken rules we're trying to have at work. He'd drive 20 miles down the road and grab a few folks from prison. He'd swing up north and grab your ex, who cheated on you, by the way. Grab, go down 10 miles south and get the crew you used to ran, run track with together back in the day. Run over, loop over to the hospital, make sure to get the sick. Run down the back alley and get a couple of the folks who are hunkered over the trash cans at the moment. Run next door to the sweet couple with the cat who barely get out anymore. Caddy corner to the fun family with the three teenagers. And then over to the recluse nobody knows anything about. They pull them all in tight and of course grab you right on in there. And he'd have everyone standing together. He'd put himself right in the center and he'd say, all right, count of three, cheese. The church, by its very nature, is a family of people we would never choose. And that's the point. Jesus chooses. Jesus calls us into being. Jesus declares it so by grace upon the vastly undeserving and unlikely. And in the process, do you see how Jesus then undercuts every form of familial loyalty except to himself? If we say, well, no, no, my real family, I mean the family I will do anything for, the ones with my last name. Yeah, but look at the photo, the one that Jesus himself has called into being. Or if we say in our words or our actions, no, no, I mean my real family is the institute, the school, the political party, grace covenant, our people, our country, our theology, our neighborhood. But look at the family photo. And it's not that we don't from season to season, time to time, vote with or advocate for or come alongside certain groups or that we don't show up to certain family traditions with uh, certain people. But before we unconsciously just press click around a certain section of the photo, Jesus wants to ask, wants us to ask, who are my mother and brothers? Who really is family? To whom am I accountable and kin, loyal and loving at all costs? And all the more to ask that kind of question in times of pressure, temptation, decision, tension, fear, where maybe some form of the family or another does press us at the door, expecting a way, an answer, some quieting. Because if we can pause just long enough amidst all the tension and competing demands to ask that question, we can pause long enough then to be stunned by the family photo whose frame never seems big enough. We will pause long enough to remember, you know what, we're not in charge of determining the lines and who's family enough, as if there's an ounce of earning our place in the family. We'll pause long enough to be decentered from a dangerous loyalty that might be holding us. And more importantly, the question allows us to pause long enough to look right to the center of the photo again and honor the first commandment, which is really what this scripture is all about. For there stands from all eternity the one who calls us sister and brother. That's right. Who is my brother? 
There is the fullness of truth. There is the fullness of love. There is the one who loved me so much that he spoke out against the family and was crucified. There is the advocate of life. There is the one with whom I am related by blood. There is my fundamental family in whom I have life. There, there is the one to whom I have my dying allegiance, for he gave no less. Amen. In response to God's word, let us stand together singing, Look Who Gathers at Christ's Table. You are listening to the live broadcast of a worship service at Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church. You have just heard this morning's sermon entitled, The Church as Household, which was delivered by the Reverend Dr. Robert Holm Lippert. The congregation will now join in singing, Look Who Gathers at Christ's Table, which is printed in the bulletin.
Today, for our confession of faith, we read from a portion of the brief statement of faith found in the Presbyterian Church USA's Book of Confessions. It is a portion that speaks poignantly to what it means to be the family of God on the day in which, of course, we are considering just that. Let us make our confession together. We trust in God, whom Jesus called Abba, Father. In sovereign love, God created the world good and makes everyone equally in God's image male and female, of every race and people, to live as one community. But we rebel against God. We hide from our creator. Ignoring God's commandments, we violate the image of God in others and ourselves, accept lies as truth, exploit neighbor and nature, and threaten death to the planted entrusted to our care. We deserve God's condemnation. Yet God acts with justice and mercy to redeem creation. In everlasting love, the God of Abraham and Sarah chose a covenant people to bless all families of the earth. Hearing their cry, God delivered the children of Israel from the house of bondage. Loving us still, God makes us heirs with Christ of the covenant. Like a mother who will not forsake her nursing child, Like a father who runs to welcome the prodigal home, God is faithful still. Please be seated. In response to the grace of God, you are invited to discern how God is calling you to give of your financial resources, to offer up a prayer or praise on your uh, communication card for our care team to uh, look over and pray over this week. Be mindful of anything that is given above and beyond your normal tithes and offerings this day. We'll go to um, Five Cents a Meal, which helps get food to those in need, and, and Loaves and Fishes, a fund of the church that helps families in need around the Richmond area.
Jesus, thank you for by grace calling us sisters and brothers of yourself and one another. Take these, our gifts and offerings, as obedient gratitude to you. Amen. Please be seated. This table spread so long and wide through the generations and has gathered the most unlikely, unruly, undeserving group of people. Our imaginations really cannot fathom it, but such is the grace of Jesus Christ. We know two things when we come to this table. One is that we come here by grace. Our merits, our demerits, they have no say, no play. By grace, Jesus calls us sisters and brothers to be fed upon this love, this truth, who is himself. And that leads into the second thing we know for sure about this. The host of this table is not us, is not the Presbyterian Church. It is Jesus Christ, our brother, who stands at the center of this table and nourishes us and puts our foundation upon he who is love, he who is truth. When you get the bread and you get the cup, just a reminder, you're invited to hold each of those until all have been served, and together we will take the elements as a sign that we are one family in Jesus Christ. Let us go to our God in prayer. Holy and heavenly God, you sent your Son among us. so that we could be welcome at a table like this. So that your son's saving death and resurrection could change our lives, could change the very fabric of the universe in which we lived, could change who we are. Bring us to this place, to this table, into the fellowship of this church family at this time. As a mark of your love and your incredible grace for us, your children. The people who you formed on this world with a wonderful and special purpose in mind. A purpose that was meant to do two things most of all. To eternally return to you, to find a way to love you, God, with our whole heart, with our mind, with our soul, with everything that we are. And to love our neighbor, the other, our friend, the enemy, in the same way that we love ourselves. Thank you, God. Bless us and open our hearts and minds to this grace that you set before us today. In Christ's name, amen. 
on the night that Jesus was betrayed by family. He took a loaf of bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, and on the same night, Jesus took the wine that was on the table there for those who were gathered, and blessed it, and poured it out, and said, this is not just for you who are here in this room for this meal, but this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for all people. Apostle Paul goes on to tell us that as often as we eat of this bread, we drink of this cup, we proclaim our Lord's saving death until he comes again. These are the gifts of God for the family of God, and by grace you are invited. While the members and friends of Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church are being served the communion elements of bread and wine, let us turn to reflect on the significance of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is one of two sacraments, both of which are visible signs instituted by Christ of God's invisible grace. The first sacrament is baptism. Baptism signifies God's welcome of the individual into the household of faith. As such, it is a -a once-in-a-lifetime event. The second sacrament, the Lord's Supper, signifies and communicates God's continuing spiritual nourishment and support of believers. Thus, it is repeated frequently. Both of these sacraments are extensions of the Word of God read and preached, signs of the gospel of the grace of God in Jesus Christ as proclaimed in the sermon. The communion service is at once a memorial of Christ's sacrificial death, a renewal of the spiritual relationship of believers with Him and with each other in the community of faith, and an anticipation of the great heavenly banquet yet to come. By this supper we are brought into closer communion with God and with other Christians, not only those present at this particular service, but also with those in all times and places, those spread around the world, and those who have gone on before us, the great communion of all the saints. That is why the sacrament of the Lord's Supper is also referred to as communion.
body of Christ, broken for each of you. Take and eat. As we continue our discussion of the nature and significance of the Lord's Supper, we note that there are at least three dimensions of the Lord's Supper as it is understood in the New Testament. First, the past action of God in Christ and our memory of it. Second, the current presence of the living Christ and our celebration of it. And third, the future kingdom of Christ and our joyful anticipation of it. So, when we eat the bread and drink the wine, we remember the broken body and shed blood of Christ on the cross. We depend on the risen Christ to sustain our lives today, and we look forward to the great feast in his coming heavenly kingdom. All three of these dimensions are important parts of the Lord's Supper. If we were to emphasize only the past, the supper would become a gloomy and faithless remembrance of the sacrificial death of Christ, forgetting that he also rose victoriously from the dead. If we were to emphasize only the present, the supper would become a sentimental victory celebration, forgetting the cost of victory, that the risen Christ is the one who was rejected by a sinful world and who gave up his life for us. If we were to emphasize only the future promise, we would be celebrating a hope without remembering that Christian hope for the future is based on the victory of God in Christ, which has already happened, and we might fail to live joyfully, thankfully, and obediently in the present, in the strength and courage we are given now by the risen Christ, who is already Lord, and whose kingdom is already on the way. As the supper concludes, we offer ourselves to Christ as he has already offered himself to us. Having been reunited with him, we are made ready to go out to fulfill the church's task in the world. For the past hour, you have been listening to the worship service at Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church in Richmond, Virginia. Please join us again next Sunday through our radio ministry or in our sanctuary at 1627 Monument Avenue. Also assisting in the service today was Christopher Tweel, our associate pastor for Christian education. Your announcer today has been John Harris, and the engineers were Reagan McCullough and Cameron Baird. This service streams live and can be accessed through the church's website, which is grace-covenant.org. We now return you to Christian Talk Radio on WLES, 590 AM, 107.9 FM.
Let us return to God in prayer. Amazing creator of the universe who somehow spins gold in the hearts of stars, who forges the courses of the planets and comets in our universe, who also gave us grain and wine and sustenance that goes beyond food, who fills our souls with something greater and undescribable. We come to you newly changed and affected by your holy word and by this meal at the table that you have set. Again, continually changed by who you are in our lives, God. By the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ. And so it is with these renewed hearts and these renewed spirits that we turn our eyes to the world, that we hear and see the real pain and trouble of each person, that we listen and are affected by our neighbor the people in our city, the people in our state, our country, and this world who still yearn and cry out for your justice, for your loving kindness, for your hand of peace in their lives. And we recognize that we are instruments of that peace, that we are witnesses to that love, and we are activators of your justice. And in that mindset, we hear and we know in our hearts the prayer that your Son taught us to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive those not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us stand together. We continue in worship, singing God of our life.
as always, you are invited just down the hall to the social room for refreshments, conversation. If you're interested in one of the six-week small groups that you can read about in your bulletin, you can sign up there, learn more there, get your reading packet there if you're already involved. Who are my mother and my brothers? May that question jar you, shake you, free you to see afresh our unlikely kin and most especially our unlikely brother at the center of the family photo, the fullness of truth and love. And as you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of you this day and always. Amen.